Fantastic to be uh, with you here uh, today. Have you all received from these men of God today, these sessions, incredible? Uh, Pastor Philip, you did awesome. You asked the question, you did awesome. Knocked it out of the park. And, and uh, Pastor Chad, a uh, great friend of mine. And one more time, let's give it up for Pastor Matt, his session this morning, and Heather, who hosted this conference and put it on for us. Uh, I love this couple. They're uh, the real deal on and off the stage. They love the local church. They love the Word of God. They're passionate about evangelism and, and missions. And I'm around missionaries and pastors uh, a lot. And uh, we, my wife and I, can y'all give it up for Brooke? She's here in the front row with me, and she joined us for the session uh, this morning. And uh, we, we brag on our church in Seguin, Texas a whole lot, but when I get around some of my close friends, uh, some that uh, here this morning even uh, that we heard from, but when I get around Pastor Matt, like he brags about Destiny Church, and, and I brag, and then we have kind of this competition, this, this war amongst each other, and uh, he goes on and on. It's almost embarrassing. Like he just keeps on going on and on about the people and the future and what God's saying. Uh, in the church. I'm like, okay, I get it. I, I mean, I love my church, but obviously you talk about your church a, lot, a whole lot more and you love it, but your church is better. And so anyhow, and so we just kind of settle it right there. But uh, I thank God for him. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. And thanks, Pastor Matt, for uh, inviting my younger brother as well. You're going to hear from me and you're going to hear a lot greater version uh, of, of God's word going forth uh, tonight in the session. So don't, don't miss uh, tonight. But this is actually the very first time uh, I'm humbled by it that uh, we're actually sharing a conference together. Uh, Matt has led worship where I've preached, and we've done that sort of thing, but we've never preached together at a conference, and so it's a real honor. Thank you for that invitation, Matt, and making all of that happen. And uh, so I have uh, eight minutes before lunch, and so I'm, I'm literally editing in my mind uh, what I'm going to do, and because I know all of you are, and I'm hungry and uh, I'm going to shorten this, and all in favor say aye to that, and so because everybody's hungry, uh, of course. And, but I, I do have something on my heart. If you have a Bible, I know this is a Bible-centered church, Isaiah chapter 6. It's a familiar passage for us all, and I just uh, hope that we see this with fresh glasses today and a fresh lens uh, this morning uh, out of this missionary call and evangelism call that's on all of us. So it says it this way, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Let me just pause just for a moment before we read the rest of this passage here. It, it is said that when battles occurred... Uh, Back in the day in the Old Testament where kings squared off against other opposing kings and kingdoms went against other kingdoms, that as these kings were dressed in full battle array, the train of their robe, in fact, they, they had these battle skirts on, if you will, and the one conquering king uh, over the other conquered uh, king. Uh, depending on how many kingdoms and how many kings you conquered, determined the length of the train of the robe. Y'all see the powerful poetic picture here that Isaiah, he sees the Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's high and lifted up, 
And the train of his robe is filling the whole temple. In fact, those kings back in the day would take their swords out, seemingly, and slash off the defeated king that he had conquered. And he would take his robe in battle array and attach it to his robe, making his robe longer. But what you see in Isaiah chapter 6 is that Jesus Christ's robe is filling, the train of his robe is filling the whole sanctuary. I'm here thankful that we serve an undefeated champion. I mean, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He goes on to say, above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings that cover their faces, with two that cover their feet, with two that they were flying, and they were calling one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched it my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sins are atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Then go and tell this people. I love this, uh, this passage of Scripture here, and just to kind of take it to heart, uh, a little context on the text, this passage, is that Isaiah, of course, was serving under King Uzziah in the year that King Uzziah died. You can cross-reference this with 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We won't read all that for time's sake, but Isaiah served up under King Uzziah and reigned in Jerusalem. Uzziah was, King Uzziah was amazing on every level doing the stuff, doing the work of the kingdom, expanding the work of the kingdom while he was the king for about 52 years. There the Bible says, as long as King Uzziah sought the Lord, God gave him success. How many know that's a sermon all in itself? It goes on to say in 2 Chronicles 26 that King Uzziah, he raised up forces, he defeated armies. He rebuilt towns, constructed towers. I mean, just the genius of God was on him. He was innovative. He was powerful. His fame spread far and wide. He invented weaponry, Black Hawk helicopters and all that kind of stuff, and so Humvees. He just exp- he labored. He, he built this unstoppable military, and he did it for the king, and he did it for the kingdom until chapter 26 says, he became prideful, which led to his downfall. He became, the Bible says, unfaithful to the Lord, and he raged out of anger in the temple in front of all of the priests. And unfortunately and sadly, leprosy broke out on his forehead. He was quarantined, excluded from the temple of the Lord until the day that he died. Second Chronicles 26, verse 22 And 23 says it this way, at the end of his life, that point of death, or maybe it's behind me, there it goes, the other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded 
by the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz. And Uzziah rested with his ancestors and was buried near them in a cemetery that belonged to the kings. For people said, and it's just a, a horrible epitaph, this is the headline over his life after all the wonderful things that he had done, but it ended here. He had leprosy. And Jotham, his son, succeeded him as the king. Said Isaiah recorded all of these events about King Uzziah. That was the background. That's the context, the backdrop for it all. Isaiah was there as an eyewitness. He saw the good days. He saw the lousy days. He saw the achievements and the disappointments. Isaiah, under King Uzziah, was like a, a mentee. He looked to Uzziah as a spiritual father. He had a front row seat from beginning to end. He was writing down on a, on a notepad or a moleskin or whatever it was that he was recording all of these things. He looked up to King Uzziah building the kingdom, doing the work, doing the stuff for God. Isaiah served as like a personal secretary. At that time, seemingly, I don't believe that he saw himself as a, quote, send me to the world kind of guy until something shifted in the text that we just read in Isaiah 6. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I own something in my spirit. I've got a revelation of what I'm supposed to do. I've become a lover of another king. I'm seeing God for myself with fresh eyes, not through another's eyes. I've got my own vision from the Lord. It's the reason why all of us are in the ministry or embarked in the ministry in the first place, is it not? We were apprehended by the wonder of God. We were apprehended by the glory of God. God downloaded to us a vision of himself. And Isaiah, from that point forward, his worship as God revealed himself as how incredible he was, holy, 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 all the things that we just read and his glory, as God revealed himself to him, his most natural response of seeing a new vision for himself of who the Lord was high and lifted up and his train filling the whole sanctuary was a response in worship that translated to mission. That translated to mission. And when God reminds us, like he does Isaiah, of how incredible he is, when you and I fall so madly in love with King Jesus, one of the ways that you will know and I will know is that we will begin to embrace his heart for the peoples of the world. I would dare say that God's not looking for more laborers, and although he is, because we're supposed to pray for laborers, he's not so much looking for laborers because Uzziah did a lot of laboring and a lot of kingdom building, but he fell short. He had leprosy. So there was a malfunction. Something disconnected from him doing some work for the kingdom and doing the stuff of the kingdom and falling out of love, mad love with his 
king. I dare say that God's not so much looking for more laborers like hi-ho, hi-ho, a bunch of builder ants that are falling in line, more people to be enlisted into building the kingdom like Uzziah was doing in the expansion of the kingdom of God. It's off to work we go, doing the Christian thing. I think we get ahead of ourselves. Frankly, I think that we get ahead of God in some of those things. I think that God is looking not so much for more people to do the job of the kingdom as much as he's looking for those who are passionately in love with the king. Who are building the kingdom. (laughs) Looking for people who will step past the stuff of Christian work and into his heart. Stepping into an intimate and passionate and glorious love affair with him again that out of that kind of love it will cause a natural response of worship that will in turn produce such amazing workers. (laughs) Such amazing resources and builders of the kingdom. Not just people working in the kingdom, but lovers of the king. We strip it all down and we boil it all down. God's looking for a heart that's alive for the king of the kingdom that we're building. And everything changed for Isaiah that day. I'm not just a secretary. I'm I'm not just a notepad guy. I'm a nation's guy. From that day forward, he began to live a life that was ultimate. And when I say ultimate, that's like you and I, that our lives count for that which is ultimate. And God gives us a glimpse. He's very clear on what ultimate is. It's not like when you're talking about ultimate, you're not talking about important, or you're talking about something like, there's only one thing that's ultimate. Like Not like that's ultimate over there, or is that ultimate, or which one do I choose Ultimate is what's most important on the heart of God becomes most important on my heart and it teams up with the heart of God and what is ultimate with glimpses of who God is and how incredible he is all through the course of scriptures that his ultimate aim is that we're after his glory. We're after, he's after worshipers. He's after those that out of a response of worship that it translates into our heart breaks for the peoples of every nation. And of the world, a mighty recovery of the greatness of our God, that my life and your life count for something that is ultimate. So I, I remember it was almost 30 years ago in 1992 uh, when my daughter, of course, Jenna, she is, uh, you know, 12 years old now. She goes, Paul, you were, and Dad, you were born back in the 1900s, which always makes me feel awesome. <laughs> And so in 1992, uh, just before I, I came to IBC, I was living in the New Orleans area, and God was stirring me, and uh, he was nuking me, honestly. Uh, I was a drummer in my church, my dad's church. Uh, I was worshiping Jesus at that. I was 19 years old at that point, and I was, uh, everybody in my family uh, like generations back, I'm talking like five generations back, all of us are in the full-time ministry. All of us are, are pastors, which only means I'm more dysfunctional than you are. But I'm just saying that, that's kind of our legacy and our uh, inheritance. And, and uh, I didn't want to do that. I, I want to, I, I, I'm like a sports idiot. So I, I love watching sports. I love playing sports at that time in my life and watching ESPN and all those kind of things. And so I want to do something just different than everybody else in my family. I might get into full-time ministry when I'm like 37 or something, but right now I'm 19 years old. I'm just serving in the church. I just kind of have a role 
here in the kingdom, but I don't want to go into full-time ministry. And so I was, you know, kind of being a sports nerd and all into that. I'm like, I'm just going to pursue sports medicine. I'm going to go to the University of New Orleans, UNO, and I'm just going to be a physical therapist and be around athletes and not do the call of the ministry. But God was fanning into flames something deep down inside of my heart. And at 19 years old, uh, deep into the winter, I mean, it's December, and I'm sitting at a Tasty Donuts and how many know God moves over hot glazed donuts? And so while I was there, it's two or three o'clock in the morning. And uh, I have my organic chemistry textbook open because I'm a second year University of New Orleans student studying physical therapy and sports medicine. And I have my Bible open uh, right there in the booth of Tasty Donuts off of West Esplanade. And I'm hating this and I'm eating up this and loving this and and, uh, and there's a guy that's in there, and he walks and just, just randomly just stumbles in, kind of joins me at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I lead him to Christ, and then that energizes me more. He goes away, and then I'm, like, really loving this and really loving that, and I'm like, God, I know. I'm really kicking against the more that you have on the inside. I kind of want this path and I'm just going to be a good drummer in the church and kind of serve in the church. But this is something that you're calling me higher to. I'm just not sure about uh, all of that. And, and God was really fanning into flame. And, and I remember getting up that next morning and going to school and hating every session, every class. I had four classes that morning. And just God was working overtime in my heart about what he was calling me to do. I know that he was calling me to be a pastor. I didn't know at, at what particular, you know, how, how that would look fleshing out in the future. Uh, but I knew that much. He was calling me to be a pastor. And so I went to all my classes. I hated all those classes. God was ruining me from physical therapy world. And I went to Walgreens. I was working at Walgreens. I put my little apron on in the afternoon and uh, I'm working from 4 o'clock to 11 p.m. that next day. And the whole time, God is just stirring something in my heart for the ministry. And so at break, it was about 7 p.m., I have a 15-minute break. And I called my mother. And I said, Mom, I'm going to, I just said to the Lord, God, you've got my life. And I'm going to surrender to whatever God wants me to do in the ministry. And of course, she was overjoyed and tears are streaming down her face. In fact, she told me that on the phone, like, I'm just crying right now of joy. And I knew it. I knew it. And so anyway, and so I, I, I'm, I'm talking to her and I said, Mom, pack my stuff, pack my clothes, because my stepfather had told me about International Bible College in San Antonio, nine hours west of where I was living, and I said, pack all of my suitcases because I want to leave tonight. <laughs> and she said, okay. And so I get off at 11 p.m. that night, and I go home, and I, like I said, all of my family is in the ministry, so all of my family, all the pastors and their wives are all over at my house. They're in my driveway. We circle up in the driveway. We're holding hands. And I've got my friend, his name is Greg Guillory. Greg is a heathen to the max. I mean, he is. And while some of my family members and Matt was there, 
Some of my family members are all praying on my new journey, embarking for my new journey out of Egypt called Louisiana into the promised land called Texas, where I'd become a Spurs fan. Anyway, so, but while they're praying, Greg Guillory is literally talking me out of, he says, don't go. Don't go, which is a whole nother sermon in itself. But he was trying to talk me off the ledge. Don't go. Just stay here. We'll party and stuff. Whatever. So, and he said, of course, we said amen. And I packed up all of my earthly belongings, which wasn't much, into my 1988 Toyota Tercel with my papa. And uh, we got into that car with my suitcases. And we drove that same night, uh, starting at midnight. And we went nine hours. And we showed up on the parking lot of International Bible College uh, in 1993. And the very first person that I met when we drove up, me and my papa, was Pastor David Cook, Brother David Cook. To which we got out, and I didn't know, I'd never seen Brother David Cook before, but my papa knew who Brother David Cook was. And he goes, oh, that's Brother David Cook. And Brother David Cook says, hallelujah. And so anyway, and so we get out of the Toyota Cell, and I'm packing all, getting all my suitcases out, and I shake his hand, and I said, is there any way that I can register as a student for this semester, and he goes, no, we don't take people from Egypt. And so you have to turn around and go back to, we don't like Cajuns. And so, no, just kidding. He said, no, welcome to the promised land. I know your papa, he's a pretty good guy. And so uh, you have to become a Spurs fan if you want to register. But besides that, welcome to IBC. And we went to our, my very first class, which is a Life of Christ class. And then I went to my very first chapel, which Brother David Cook preached, and I knew God had spoken to me. And I'm like, I'm going to be here for the whole uh, four years. And then, of course, my papa knew Pastor John Bell. And so papa helped me find a bank. Papa helped me find my classes. Papa helped me find my church. The problem was papa stayed with me for about 10 days in the dorm and all the dorm mates that were there were like, is your papa ever going to leave you? We would actually walk hand in hand to, it was, it was precious, precious times with, with papa. And so we, we come to Destiny Church for the very first time and Pastor John Bell knew my, my grandfather and I, I remember just, just anointed to the max, Pastor Dave Bell leading worship and hearing Pastor John Bell uh, preach and God was just, he was lighting me up for Worship and for the nations and for the call of God on my life. In that very first semester, uh, I didn't know what this was, but I found out what this was. And what this was was a presbytery happened in that very first semester. And Pastor John Bell, what that meant was there was three days of prayer and fasting. Uh, and there's three men of God that are on the stage that pray for different people. So Pastor John Bell would walk on the stage, and so uh, these nightly meetings, and uh, you would get a prophecy or a word from the Lord that would line up with the word of God. And, and so I come night one, and it was amazing, and night two, and, and night three. And the last night, the very last person called, Pastor John Bell said, uh, Paul Mason, who I, who I just met just a couple of months ago, why don't, why don't you come on up? And so I walked from back. I was sitting right back there, and I walked up the steps, and they had a chair, and the chair was right here, and they had three chairs uh, right over here, and these three men of God who were just nailing it with people all three nights, like boom, 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 just amazing, supernatural, just words 
far as nations and going to the world and these kind of words that were given over people's call on their life, uh, well, they were, they were nailing it. And, and so I, I get up here and uh, I'm pretty nervous. The place was full. And uh, I, I remember the first guy, I didn't, I didn't know who he was at all. I was a little bit more familiar with the other two gentlemen. And the first guy, he comes up and he says, uh, the Lord is putting missions in your heart. Evangelism is something that lights you up. And at that point in my life, I'd never been on a missions trip before. I'd never supported missions. I didn't really know what missionaries were all about other than in my dad's church. You know, it was usually like periodically, like these missionaries would show up at dad's church and, you know, you'd kind of maybe see them once every couple of years. There's generally like a, um, like an older retired, you know, couple and they would like show these slides. Y'all remember the slides? And uh, that was kind of like right after etchings and drawings and things. And so right before like PowerPoint. And so, and like, hey, this is, you know, we went to India and this is where we are. And this is the marketplace. And this is our dog. And this is our hut. And, uh, and so I hope that you're inspired, you know, by, by that. And, and we just kind of all like were reminded once a year-ish about some missionary that would come into my dad's church and somebody would sit back and kick a dollar into the plate and just kind of say, that's kind of what you're called to do over there in India, across the world. And, and just, wow, what an epic adventure that we just heard about as it relates to evangelism and, and missions. And that's what I remember as a kid or a teenager is those times, just every once in a while, that that's somebody who has some role over there across the world. And you just, you go God over there in the world. You just go do your stuff over there. And I'll do my stuff over over here. And I don't know why we've kind of classified in Christianity in nice little neat folders like these different jobs in the kingdom. I don't, I don't know why it's like these kind of, we've deduced it down to like you've got a role and I've got a role and there's this other role over here and everybody's kind of got their compartments with all of those things. I didn't quite get all of that, but I remember the first guy came up and he's praying like, God's given you a heart for the nations and for evangelism and for, for missions. And, and I just immediately, he goes, isn't that right? And I'm sitting in that chair right there and I said, nope. <laughs> and it was awkward, just like that. He goes, no, evangelism is gonna be stirring in you. And the nations of the world is going to be stirring in you because I can see that you're madly in love with Jesus. And so that's going to happen. And I'm thinking in my head, I don't know what missionaries are all about. I'm just thinking I'm called to be a pastor. That's my that's that's going to be my thing. That's going to be my role, my job in the kingdom. And so it was a little bit awkward and I felt a little bit embarrassed because I'm like, man, three for three. And this guy totally botched that man like that. He missed it badly. And he goes back and he sits down and the second guy comes up and his name is Leonard Fox. 
And he's like Moses coming off the mountain with like that bold baritone voice. And thus saith the Lord. I mean, he's just got this. And he comes over and he goes, God's called you to be a pastor. You're not from here. And he's going to call you to be a senior pastor later on. But the first guy is not wrong. The first guy actually nailed it. He goes, and I don't know who you are, but when you become a senior pastor, even before you become a senior pastor, when you're a pastor, before becoming a senior pastor, God's going to grow God's heart in you for missions as a pastor. I've never heard that before because I'm called to be a pastor for crying out loud. Hello. I'm not called to be a missionary over there. That's something that somebody else does. I'm just called to be a pastor over here in America. And Leonard Fox nailed it out of the park saying, God's going to grow God's heart in you. You're madly in love with Jesus, the king, and he's got a heart to expand the kingdom of God so missions will grow in you as a pastor. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying here today? That's the point. That we begin to start looking at some of these roles and we fall so desperately in love with the king like Isaiah. That he's not just a secretary. He's not a notepad guy. But what grew in him was a revelation of loving his king. And out of that, he had a heart for the lost people of the world. I pray over every pastor in this room that God would, if he hasn't done it already, that God would fan into flame and nuke you. As a pastor or a parking lot guy or an usher, every one of us is called to be a missionary, no matter what your role is. No matter what part you're playing in the kingdom. If you're a pastor or you're a leader or you're a staff member or a kid's pastor, no matter what it is, you're called to be a missionary. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, you're a missionary or you're an imposter. No matter what your role is, you're called to play God's heart in the kingdom. Why does our heart bleed for and overflow for? He's looking for people who are madly in love with him. And our natural response will be worship that translates into a heart of mission. Can I hear a good amen for that? I'm going to stand up all over here in the room here today. And I want to pray uh, for you uh, this morning before we go and eat. God, I pray, Lord, that you would Lord, put inside of us and every pastor... Lord, a growth that would be for the nations and for missions, that your heart breaks for people. I pray, God, that you would just energize us in that way. God, I pray for every Christian in this room, Lord, that you would light them up with a heart for the people of the world, for your name, for your glory, for our good, for your fame. God, let us not be disobedient to the heavenly vision. That is when we're worshipers and lovers of the King and the kingdom will think about. Lord, our heart will break and ache for the peoples of the nations. God, I pray, Lord, that we would not go to heaven with stored up energy, that we would leave it all on the field, that everything that we would do would be for your glory. It all comes from you, and it's for you, and it's to you. To God be the glory forever and ever, and we pray for the food. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen to that. Love you, church.